Hello, everyone. Welcome again to the Persuasion Lab podcast. I'm your host, Moeed Amin. The goal of this show, this podcast, this show, is to help elevate noble profession of sales through the cutting edge insights, tools, techniques, strategies around how to become more persuasive. However, this is not just for salespeople, anyone that's involved, uh, whatever the, your career, whatever your path or chosen profession, at some point you're going to need to be able to persuade others. As Bill Clinton said, nothing big enough or worth doing can be done alone. So at some point in your, in your experience of what we call life, you will probably be faced with a situation where you will need to persuade someone or a group of people, and you will need to explain to them why what you're, what you're doing is so important, why it's important, and why you need them along the journey. So I hope you enjoy this particular episode. So my guest today is, the, is a returning guest, actually, uh, and is the founder of Brindis, which is a sales training consultancy. And for the last 22 years, you know, he's been traveling around the world and has worked with over 10,000 salespeople in over 200 companies. His latest book, Hybrid Selling, helps salespeople adapt to a future that needs a multifaceted approach to drive success. So this is so much more than just giving sellers clever tools and technologies. So please help me welcome or re-welcome Fred Kopsteak. Welcome, Fred. Thanks and uh, welcome back to the show. No, thank you. Thank you for inviting me again. Really cool. I was actually uh, one of the privileged few to get uh, sneak peek access to your book and uh, actually was one of the beta readers which I was delighted and privileged to be and um, really want to dig into some of the in really interesting things that you talk about in there because you know sales has continued to evolve and uh, quite frankly it's become a lot harder and uh, the most successful will really shine out and um, so really looking forward to digging into that. Maybe if I can ask the first question, Fred, which is, you know, why did you write hybrid selling? Because it was needed. <laughs> it, it, it's a simple answer. Um, I mean, it might sound a bit, bit trite, a bit flippant, but um, I mean, as you know, I wrote it pretty quickly after my first book, um, which if you think about it, I'd written, I'd put out there, built some training around it. It was going to be good. I was going to tour it. If I was a rock band, I'd be doing that. But then something came along, <laughs> which can we use the C word? Can we say that? Um, yeah, yeah, well, your pandemic, COVID came along. And, and But what that did with all the effects that it had, it kind of sped up the changes that we were seeing in the world of sales. So again, I would say the stuff that's going to happen anyway happened quicker. And so it's kind of left salespeople as to, whoa, if we don't adapt to this, we are potentially, like you said, we're going to get left behind. And I'm just worried that not all salespeople are going to recognize this. Or if they do recognize it, they don't know how they're going to adapt to that. So I wanted to put together some thoughts as quick as I could. Say, look, here you go. Here are some, here's some ideas. Here's some things that you can just start to do to structure your approach for here and now. And moving forward, how are you going to make yourself uh, future-proof, if you like? I can get the how, how they, they will probably struggle to try to move to this new future, right? But I'm still surprised as to some a lot of salespeople probably won't even recognize that they need to change why do you think that is i, I was thinking about this the other day and i, and I remembered that old analogy of the, of the frog in water you know when the, the, the sort of fat sack in cold water and there's a flame put underneath it and it starts to turn up and the water gets warmer and warmer and warmer and the frog doesn't know and then it boils to death basically it's a bit of a horrible analogy but it, it's kind of like that see, these changes are going on around and people just don't realize so there's an element to that and i think this was also a kind of a 
not wanting to accept it type thing. Like, no, no, not for me or not in my industry or not what we do. And people are going to get caught out. I'm, I'm really kind of conscious of that. And you know, obviously don't want that to happen to people. That still surprises me, I've got to say, because, you know, we're not frogs. Hopefully we're a bit more intelligent than that. <laughs> than that. And do you feel it's the salespeople themselves that don't want to kind of wake up to that reality? Or, or do you feel it's the business leaders that are exacerbating this kind of blindness that's, uh, you know, the blind leading the blind here? Um, it's probably a bit of both. I mean, sales leaders do get a bit of a kick in at the moment. Probably some of it is fairly warranted. But I don't think in this case they can completely take the blame. I mean, yeah, if it's a decent sales leader, they'll have spotted stuff going on. And they'll say, hey, guys, right, we need to re-equip. We need to reassemble. We need to be doing stuff in a different way. And that's their job. But it doesn't mean that the salesperson can't also be aware and can say, hang on a minute, this isn't right. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff going on here. I need to take some responsibility for my own development. I want to keep myself moving forward. I shouldn't be having to serve the pull of platter. So it's a bit, little bit of both, I think. I mean, we could talk about this particular one for a long time. So <laughs> why, why, don't we, why don't we jump to the actual techniques and, and the principles that you share in the book? So one of the things you talked about this is this multifaceted approach that sellers kind of now need to employ. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Again, the analogy, full of analogies today, but the, the analogy that I, that I tend to use on this one, it's, it's like you're playing a drum. You know, you've got a little drum there, you've got one drumstick and you're tapping away on it, you know, and that isn't a great performance. I mean, no one's really going to go and pay and watch that. Um, but you might have got away with it. That's what selling has been or could have been like. However, now what we need to be doing is we need to be getting this full drum kit, this whole load of different things where we need to be playing different parts at different times because that's what customers are demanding. And that's what it's back down to. It's not just about being clever at selling for the sake of being clever at selling. For me, it is a response to what's going on. And what's going on is this, this customer. You know, they are more advanced in what they're doing. You know, they've got more information. They're further down buying cycles. We know all this sort of stuff. They're more biased. In other words, they're, they're more demanding about what it is they want. They've got higher expectations. They should expect more from, from people. They're, they're B2C customers as well, aren't they? So, you know, they, <laughs> they used to get what they want. Oh, it's all about them. But they're also more confused because <laughs> they're in the same VUCA world as we are. And there's all this stuff going on, the volatility, the uncertainty, complexity, ambiguity that they, they need to be dealing with. And so the salesperson, we've got to be saying, right, with lots of different things that we can understand, we can do, and we can use to help navigate this and to help you through that. And so, yeah, that's, that's the drum kit, if you like. But in the book, it's the Evolve model, E-V-O-L-V-E. Well, before we dig into that, I'm really intrigued by something that you said there, which is the buyers themselves are also within the maelstrom of VUCA. So what do you feel they're really looking for from salespeople here in this VUCA world, or let's call it FUD, you know, fear, uncertainty, and doubt, you know, what, what do they really need and look for from salespeople? I mean, I, I came across this model, and we've chatted about this before, haven't we, this, this VUCA Prime model, which I just thought, this is brilliant. Um, it's so elegant. Um, it's elegant because it kind of fights VUCA with VUCA, and a guy called Bob Johansson came up with this in the, in the 80s, where to deal with volatility, what we need to do is we need to give vision. If as a salesperson, we can sit, we can work with a customer to help them understand what it is that they're trying to achieve, where they're going, what they want to do, what their goals are, what good outcomes, what good results would be for them. That's a brilliant service. I mean, forget about what you're actually selling, <laughs> product or service, but just working with them like that, you're adding value. So you're almost kind of saying, so that's not, sorry to interrupt, but that's almost 
you're saying forget about what it is you're selling you're actually almost an advisor to the buyer yeah. i mean this is even deeper than what the previous ones had been which is about challenging them and giving yeah. them insights you're actually talking about if i was advising you in your role in your world yeah these this is the kind of vision this is what great looks like this is what mediocre looks like this is what bad would look like and, and you're almost kind of priming them and discussing with them about just their world nothing about you and what you're doing right now what you have to offer talking to them about their world helping them make sense of it helping them to understand what they should be trying to achieve trusted advisor i think gets lost in in in, in translation that people think i'm a trusted advisor i'm going to advise you which product to pick from my catalog it's not that <laughs> that, hasn't, that isn't oh, from, that's how i see it it's this bringing value in the sort of the advice in the consultative kind of way in which you help people think now that for me is what a good salesperson does they help somebody think and so in the, that part of the vuca vuca prime so bringing vision against volatility they can do that so, same with with you is uncertainty but it's also understanding you mm. help people understand stuff now that could be giving them a product presentation some people will default to that and only that it's probably more likely to be bringing different perspectives bringing different insight asking them questions challenging you 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 spoke about you know it's pushing back to you know how they're thinking what they might be trying to do and just helping them make sense of stuff salespeople are sense makers i know is a bit of a bit of a theme with some people and i I like that one as well I'll, i'll definitely subscribe to that so again we can bring value by doing that that's part of this modern hybrid seller for me complexity what can we do to help with that? We can give them clarity. So we're helping them work out where they're going to go, helping them work out why they should do it, what options there are, how they can do it. Then we can, with uh, complexity, we can give them clarity. We can start to say, so here are the stages. These are the steps. This is the process you're going to have to go through. This is literally the implementation plan, the mutual action plan. We've got colleagues who talk about that, haven't we? Those are the things that we should can bring to the party. Again, using my stuff or using other people's notice there's a bit of a theme here that it's kind of helping people with all this stuff and people get worried oh but but they might not buy from me if you're doing all this stuff (laughs) you know they're pretty much going to go down you help me with all this yeah you clearly know what you're doing and your solution is going to be best so yeah we do that then just completely buka it's uh the ambiguity we deal with agility so again it's helping people to be able to sort of change to have options to be able to sort of do things which respond very quickly to things so again, I think a salesperson sets themselves up to, to do that. And that's their main objective. Serve customers by helping in that way. You're in a brilliant position for when it comes around to actually talking about what your products and services. It, it'll kind of just, it'll flow through. It's almost like the least of the decisions they need to do. Right. So that's really interesting. So to combat VUCA, you know, the best way Use to VUCA. do that, or one <laughs> way to do that is VUCA Prime. So instead yeah. of, so, so it's vision, um, understanding, clarity, and agility. If you're bringing that to the party, you are adding value. You're a very interesting person to have conversations with. You know, this whole thing about, oh, you know, buyers don't want to speak to salespeople anymore. Would you want to speak to somebody that brought that to the table? Of course you would. <laughs> you're one of the few that's going to get through and you'll be invited back with open arms, I suspect. It's interesting you talked about that because, you know, Peter Drucker taught us, spoke about, you know, in the effective leader. You know, the, re- the leader is really paid. And I know there are, there are a lot of, uh, there's a lot of talk about what great leadership looks like, you know, supporting a team, driving them forward. But he says that ultimately the leader is paid to make decisions. I mean, that's what they're there to do because they have all the resources to hire the right people to the technical elements. But in, in the information economy, the leader 
is really being paid to make the right decisions that have big ramifications. So I've always termed sales, the great salespeople as decision-making agents. You know, if you can help the buyer who are often going to be those leaders navigate this messy world in order to make better decisions, then you're going to instantly be seen as someone that's trusted. And even if you don't, even if you can't, you know, offer them your solution and it's not the right thing for them because it's not the right decision, you've created such an element of trust with them, such a, such as a relationship that's based on such trust that, believe me, they're going to recommend you to others. Yeah. Oh, I, I've, I've no problem as a salesperson, as a leader. I mean, again, I use that language. Guide right. would probably make more sense, but if you understand leader, if you understand leader characteristics and you do stuff in that way, then yeah, again, it, that's part and parcel of that, that hybrid approach. Like that's the L in Evolve. <laughs> it's, to, it's to lead and it's to understand that is what good leaders do. We want to bring that into the way we operate. That's so interesting because, you know, Deb, Deb, sorry, Deb Calvert wrote a book that was titled, you know, Stop Selling, Start Leading. You know, and she explains a lot of similarities between, you know, what what makes a successful seller and a successful leader. And actually, there was a lot of crossover. Can you just delve a little bit further into that in terms of your own perspective? Because you talk a bit about that in the book. Are there any specific elements that you see other than what you just said about VUCA Prime that so, yeah, uh, really aligns? Well, we, we've got that. You know, we've got that kind of servant leader mentality as well. Uh, and Robert Greenleaf talks about that. Um, serve to lead. I mean, that, that's funny enough. That's the book you, you get given when you leave Sandhurst, um, the, the military military oh, yes. academy, yeah, yeah. I suppose, here, yeah. here in the UK. You know, and it's that kind of thinking that that's my job. I'm here to help lead people, so take them by the hand and sort of take them on the route that is best for them. Now, that doesn't mean that we're always going to be sort of forcing them down that route, because I think the other part of this is just, and uh, maybe guide would be a better word, just doesn't give the acronym. <laughs> doesn't work as well. No, but in the Yes, we might be totally leading somebody. If someone's buying something that they're not used to, they've never bought it before, <laughs> they just haven't got a clue. That's, again, you can totally say, well, typically, these will be the steps that you need to go through. This is what we need to go and talk to you in your organization. Let's go and get procurement in now. Do we have to? Yeah, we do. <laughs> we take them on that, on that route. Now, it could be that they're actually pretty expert in the stuff they buy. They're used to it. They know how to. They have their process. They might totally know the process, or if not, they go through these same stages again again then we can go work out well where are they how are they doing can we align to that can we make sure that we are doing stuff consistent with what they want to do and how they do it rather than sell at them <laughs> yeah so it's this kind of aligning and working with them rather than sort of you know this is how we operate because it's in my process that's my pipeline that's what i've got to put in my crm no we we will lead them through their own process or work with them or walk by them which doesn't matter as long as, long as we're kind of aligning if you like that's so interesting because in leadership, there's a certain element of patience that's required, especially if you're leading through others. Do, do you, are you finding that salespeople now need to have a, a little bit more patience when it comes to certain aspects of the sales? Because it, it seems like people are taking longer to make decisions or there are more people involved, particularly in this kind of uncertain world. Yeah, I mean, it, it, patience is an interesting word because it kind of, I don't know, for me, it kind of sort of screams of just sort of sat there waiting for something to happen. <laughs> um, well, there's right. plenty that you can do in sales. And you, you mentioned one of those there, which is there are more people involved. You know, the decision is becoming more complex. There's, there's, there are more stakeholders, facts. So just even just mapping them, working out who's who, trying to get to talk to them, to really understand what's important to them, what is driving them, 
and just then making sure all the things we're saying and doing are consistent with that. You should never be getting bored, <laughs> um, but maybe if, if we're defining patience as it's probably not going to happen as quick as you want it to or think it will, that's probably fair as well. But, okay. but not for lack of you trying and to do the things that are consistent with, with moving it along because you're doing all the things you can to help them, to help them help themselves, if you like. Yeah, that, that's an interesting point. Yeah, so def definitely not you know, being complacent, but you probably need to act impatiently with patients, you know, understanding yeah. that there are certain points of the sales or buying process that's just going to take a bit longer. But what are you doing in the meantime to support them through that process, yeah. to understand them, as you said, in VUCA Prime? Um, so it's interesting that you say that. And, and one of the things that really stuck out for me in your book was, I remember one of my mentors talking to me about the nature of sales during a recession or during massive uncertainty. And actually I had him on the show. And one of the things that he, he talked about was how you describe value. And if that value is beyond their current fiscal period, you shouldn't be surprised that the decision to work with you is going to be deprioritized because they're really kind of narrowing their focus on the current fiscal value. And you've really got to show something, sorry, current fiscal period, and you've really got to show value within that. Sure enough, there might be some longer term value that you deliver, but if you can't articulate what will happen in that current fiscal period, you know, you're not going to have much momentum. But you talk extensively about what value really is and how to kind of co-create that with your customers. Um, tell us a bit more about that because there are some misconceptions out there about what value really is and how to articulate it. But, but you, you talk about it quite eloquently in the book. Oh, that's because I borrow the definition and I borrow the way of, uh, of, of talking about it from a colleague Good of mine stuff. who just does it so well. I thought, what's the point in reinventing the wheel here? I can, I can hear Mike Wilkinson, who's a brilliant chap, talking about this where he says, Fred, the thing about value is it's a mystery. <laughs> Um, and, and I just loved it. First time he told me that, I can remember what it was, we're, name drop. we're on a plane on the way to Miami to do a project there and we were chatting about salesy stuff as we do. Um, and, and he said that and it just, it honestly it hit me in the face like a shovel. Like, that is so cool. And I think I've probably used that ever since. Um, but yeah, it's Mike Wilkinson who says that. And what he means by that is that it's a mystery. You don't know what it is. You haven't got the right to rock up into somebody's organization. Right, I'm going to tell you lot what value is going to be for you today. You can't. Now, you might have a reasonably good idea. Yeah, you'll be thinking, well, okay, you're similar to other companies I've worked with. I know where we can potentially add benefit. I can yeah, work on the sort of past experience. But in this set of circumstances with these people and how they're going to define it, I do not know. But that's where I've got to do the work. I've got to understand what this mystery is for them so we can define it using their definitions to then say, right, that's what we're going to be working towards then. That's how you're defining value. If that's what it is, that's how we can then make sure we're doing all the stuff, all that co-creation and collaboration to get to that point. And so the smart thing is sort of saying what, what you were saying before is like, and okay, well, let's be smart about this. Let's look at what it is now in this period and then look what, what it is longer term. So we can get the ball rolling. We can start to move the project on from, oh, okay, it's going to get bumped. So that, that, that's what values of mystery means. Can you give some examples? Oh, yeah, we, we, could, we could look at sales training world. We could look at sales training world and we could sort of think about Funny enough, I've had a conversation but similar to this where somebody was talking to me about, we want to do some negotiation training. Now, whenever whenever I hear that, I think, mm, do you? <laughs> you usually don't. It's usually something else, actually. It's probably yeah. the actual sales piece. And so actually to really 
if you don't understand that you probably don't need negotiation, it's probably because you don't really understand selling to put the whole selling piece in place. We probably can't do that in short term because really we need to put a full program in because we are starting from scratch. That's a longer term thing. Okay, we can start talking about that. But in the short term, you are in a bit of distress. There is something you need to do isn't quite what you think but we can do like a little mini tactical workshop which is a gonna give you things to say and do in the short term so just get, get you doing swaps get you doing swaps or you try to discuss stuff when people are pushing back on on rates and prices trading negotiating basic basic but what we can also do is position how selling actually is that is opening your eyes to the fact you can't even do that if you haven't sold properly that's going to tear us up the long-term version of what we what we could be doing so yeah, that, that's yeah from, from that from mine, our own world. That's what that would look like. Yeah, we'll do a little short-term piece that'll be valuable for you now and the next month. But we're going to be looking at doing this over the course of the next three or four. So you're not saying because initially when you were describing that value being a mystery, I thought for a second, hang on a second, are you saying we can't challenge people on what value should be for them uh, or the path to value? But actually, you're not saying that. What you're saying is don't go in there, don't go into the conversation assuming that value is what you think it should be through the prism of how you view your world and your agenda. Actually, what you should be doing is take the time to understand what the definition of value is for the person or the people you're speaking with. Sure. However, however you can challenge them on what they believe is the path towards that value. And you may even be able to challenge them and say, actually, you think value is this, but what if it could also be this for you because we're, we're thinking about it in a different way here? Totally. And then that, that, that's, that's pretty much what happened. It's, you know, I've gone in and you could have said, Fred, you've completely done the opposite of what you said, but I've got way more experience in sales and the sales world compared to this particular organization. So yeah, I am coming from that position where that is probably where it's going to be, but I'm not going to steam and go, no, that is the only thing you've got to do. We can understand what they were trying to do, why they think that, let them explain that throw something else into the conversation that's going to just give them that different perspective of thinking push a little harder then say well what about this then now if they still say no that isn't something that's valuable to us well okay i can't say but it is but it is but it is you know in this case yeah we uncovered the mystery because that was just part that was why it was a mystery to them they'd never thought about it like this so <laughs> i can't help it when i when i talk about values of mystery i always think of scooby-doo <laughs> like the mystery machine you know rocking up in the van and it's like they rock up and it's like they don't know who did it they've got a pretty good idea as the janitor <laughs> usually was wasn't it um but they have to go through the process of just understanding and then proving that they were right sometimes it isn't but quite often it is and that's kind of how a, you know salesperson can go about doing it because you, know, you are bringing you are bringing value in your experience mm. for solving that problem but you've still got to do that work to help them recognize that and to uncover it together how can you get someone to recognize that? So, uh, not, sorry, not recognize that. Let me ask the question a different way. In order for you to have that very frank discussion with someone, right, and essentially challenge them, there are some buyers that are going to be resistant to that. So I'm just wondering, in your view, what does the salesperson need to do? And it could be prior to the conversation or it could be in the moment of the conversation in order for them to have that kind of constructive discussion with the buyer where the buyer is willing to share some of that vulnerability, right? Because it is a form of vulnerability at the end of the day. So what, what could we as salespeople, because in principle, it sounds perfectly fine and yeah. it sounds great, but I'm just wondering in practice, 
you know, oftentimes salespeople are faced with buyers that are very resistant, that are not willing to share that kind of information. So what can we do as salespeople to, to make the buyer comfortable to be challenged in such a way? We, we've got to earn the right. We've got to earn the right to do that and to be able to act in that way. You can't just rock up, but because it says salesperson or whatever, you know, and usually the higher the title, the more kind of right you think you've got on your business card and act in a certain way. No, it's, it's, there's way more to it than that. Whether it is as simple, well, it's actually not simple, but whether it's just the way in which you frame the meeting to start with and say, this is kind of how I want to work because this is the kind of things that we've done in the past. Usually some kind of value prop, some kind of elevator pitch, um, which whatever you want to call that. But I mean, you and know, I've talked about this before, haven't we? I think it goes way, way beyond that is it's in kind of everything you're saying and doing and the kind of how you're positioning yourself as being the person who has got the legitimate you know, legitimacy, the credibility to be able to, to talk about that. You know, and again, I mean, I'll just use my own example on this. In this particular meeting, you know, we're on Zoom. This meeting was on Zoom. I'm sat there. I've got two books on sales sat behind me. <laughs> that earns me a little bit of the right to be able to do that. I know that this lady looked at me on LinkedIn as well. So you should have seen some of the posts that I put. I think I think the one that I put today was particularly helpful because it just picked me sat on a horse. But um, <laughs> um, but a lot of the other stuff, it's like, okay, this guy is doing this stuff. He's knowing what he's doing. He's out there. He's practicing it. He's giving information about it. And so that's just not as a sales trainer. I'm using myself as the example here. But any salesperson can be doing this. The more you can do that, and again, yeah, we're talking personal branding if you want to if you want to call it that. Sales stature, I used to call. Um, I used to call it. But the more you can do that, the better able you are, I think, to get into those discussions deeper and faster. If you're just rocking up as, well, yeah, you work for that company, but I don't know if you know anything. Company does, but I'm not sure you do. It's going to be harder for you. Yeah, interesting. And actually, and, actually and, then, and then the other thing is early doors is say, do something to show that you do understand their world. So again, in this, in this thing, I know who they were. So I said things, you know, kind of dropped, I think it was, I drop a... Um, I dropped a name of someone I'd worked in that world before, called out a couple of the challenges quite subtly as to, God, you have to talk with this before. Ah, right, yeah, we feel way more comfortable talking to you now. You get the sales stuff, but actually you get us as well and the kind of things that we do. Got you. You, you earn that right to, to, move, to move the thing forward. Really interesting. So I, I got a mixture of things there where, you know, personal branding, but it's so much more than that. It's, it's what yeah. have you done? What have you done prior to that conversation? But also what do you do in general that kind of gives that buyer a view of who you are and your credibility and credentials. And then the latter part there that you said almost touched on, you know, doing your homework, right? Yeah. You know, being able to have that kind of constructive conversation where you demonstrate that you know their world, you're asking questions based upon that. Um, and actually that is almost as if you're showing them that you're a trusted professional, right? And uh, even if they didn't do any homework about you or looked up to you, looked up at you through LinkedIn, et cetera, just by the way you conduct yourself, yeah. having done that kind of homework, You've almost kind of you're earning the right throughout that yeah. process. It is. I mean, oh, personal branding. Don't, don't don't start me on it. It's really important, but I just think people focus sometimes in on the wrong stuff. Yeah. People get fascinated just in on the profile bit of it, on the LinkedIn bit. And have you got a nice banner? Have you got a nice headline? Have you got a nice CV in there? Which is important. Don't get me wrong. That is an important part. But for me, it's only one third of it. I would actually want people to start on their purpose. Why are you actually doing this stuff? What is driving you? What's going on beneath? Because then that is going to have an impact on your performance, on the way you actually do the stuff and how you do really deliver on this thing, which then you can feed into your profile. Too many people think, oh, I've made my LinkedIn look pretty. 
I've done my personal branding. I mean, that for me is not going to cut it. But again, I touch on this in the book that you need to be doing these other things to take it way deeper if you're going to be using that stuff properly. We actually had a session where you and I talked about this on the trust and bust, right? Where we, we did. We need to put a link branding. to that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. we certainly should because it's really important, especially in such a noisy world where there's another 10,000 people that probably do what you're doing who are vying for that person's attention. And uh, it's about what, what edge can you give yourself at every point in order to stand out? Yeah. And that's why, I'm joking apart, that's why you can put a silly picture of you sat on a horse. Because everything else around it and the other posts and even just you know, the way that profile is developed, and I'm not saying don't do that properly. Yes, you have to. But all the other things are in place. So you can have those little moments of sort of messing about having fun or doing whatever I was doing. I can't remember why I did it. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I think, I think I... it came up on Facebook and reminded me. I thought, well, that looks pretty. I'll stick that on. <laughs> That's something that I... I, I, I... <laughs> Yeah, there's a point that we talked, we touch on about that in, in the other in the other kind yeah. of episode where you've got to be careful with that, and, and you probably have a bit more flexibility to do so. But again, that kind of shows a bit about your character as well. So that that was interesting. And and there, there's a quote from your book that I, I would like to read if you don't mind. So this evolution of sales in the 2020s sees an increasing shift towards a collaborative approach to working with customers. It involves creating more of a partnership between the salesperson and customer, one which makes sense for both parties over the longer term. By partnering with a salesperson and their organization, the customer is likely to enjoy greater benefits by maintaining the business relationship and exploring more opportunities to create value. It means that a salesperson should be equipped with the right tools, techniques, and perhaps most important, mindset to achieve and maintain this partnership. Tell me a bit about the mindset part, because that's a tough one. It, it, it is and it isn't. Um, it, it isn't if you've written a book on selling through partnering skills. <laughs> um, no, and, and, and that's what I'm referring to. I mean, that was book one, and that was what I was all about, and what I still very am much all about. And, and yes, it might be quite a big ask to try to develop that mindset, but there are things around that can help us to do that. And you know, going back to that book, why I wrote it was because I came across this concept of PQ, of partnering skills, which which I didn't develop. I didn't invent this stuff. You know, it's this like the, the lesser known cousin of IQ and EQ, because it was developed at a similar sort of time as EQ by a guy called Steve Trent. And what PQ talks about are what are the skills, and they are skills, which means we can measure them and we can learn them and we can develop them, which help you get better at partnering. And I looked at these things, I'll go through them in a sec, but I looked at these things, I thought, well, that isn't just for people working in channel. That isn't just for alliance managers. That isn't just for people at strategic level. That's every single salesperson. Because if these things aren't talking to you, I think you're misunderstanding sales. Yeah. So when I looked at them, I thought, well, no, we need to bring this into everybody's ethos, everybody's way of operating. We'll go through them, trust. Okay, who's going to argue with that salesperson should be looking to be trustworthy and trusting their customers? Win-win focus. I mean, we've talked about that for ages interdependence my success is based on your success the outcomes that you want if you get those well i'm successful as well though again transparency so again this is we talked a little bit about this is i've got to give a bit of myself you can't be a mind reader you don't know what good looks like for me and what my kind of win is i've got to tell you but the feedback part of that as well is that if you're not doing your part of the deal if you know you're not helping me to help you that's where we can challenge you that's where we can just give that feedback saying look Murray, you said you do this but you're not how can i do my part we talk about comfort with change well we're change agents anyway so if we can't change if we don't understand change what right have we got to talk to customers about it and doing things differently 
and then having this future orientation because we want to move people towards where they want to be and we keep people on track looking at that's where we're going make decisions on it rather than well in the old days we always used to do this so in quick skip through pq those six elements i looked at those that's every salesperson if we can get more people doing that we can start to challenge that oh sales is a bit icky don't be so salesy and you talked about it being noble hell yeah it will be if we can really act with that stuff so yeah that's what that's what that little section refers to <laughs> probably should have put brackets go by but one <laughs> well that's that's fine because it builds on that but i know i've read both books so i can see how it how they build on each other when you were just and I, I i remember thinking this when when we first spoke and this nagging thing in the back of my mind was asking me well if i'm a salesperson who is selling a more commoditized product or service right i.e it's a product service that might be low 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 spend not low value but low spend it's a simpler sales or buying process and actually i don't you know, I've, I've heard salespeople say, well, I, I don't have time. Uh, you know, that that kind of approach just overcomplicates what I'm supposed to do here, which is, you know, all it takes is sometimes two or maybe three calls to then sell my solution to someone. Am I not just going to overcomplicate it if I take the partnering approach? W what would you say to those, those people? I'd be really genuinely interested to see what they're doing in those three calls because there's a couple of things going on there's either well actually you are completely doing what we've said because i can hear you asking them about themselves you're asking them about their challenges you're working out how you can then do that in a way which is consistent with what they're trying to achieve you're looking towards the results they want you're trying to work out the best outcomes for them you're building up the credibility the trust you are doing it as it happens you probably didn't realize or there are those three calls you could have 33 you could have 333 you're never going to sell anything because the way you're going about it isn't going to be effective you can't wait to talk about yourself. You want to get into demo mode. It's me, 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 we, we, we. And people really won't want to respond to that. And if it's that simple, they don't need you anyway, so they'll just buy offline. So. <laughs> so so, I'd love to see what's going on in there. I mean, that's probably oversimplified, but you know, I, I think that the, the best people probably are doing it. They don't realize. They realize they can do it better. People aren't doing it. Well, you won't be doing it for long unless you adapt and do something <laughs> to, get up, to get up to date. Yeah, that's really interesting. So what do you feel are the characteristics of a high-performing seller? And I'm, I'm not talking about skills. I'm talking about more the, the character of the individual and the behavioral traits, because as you said, we're in a world where things are radically changing for everyone, right? There's a lot of uncertainty, a lot of fear, a lot of, a lot of doubt, and salespeople are going to have to upgrade themselves, right? Um, as well as the leaders. What do you think are the characteristics that they're going to need to have or develop? to be great? Um, I mean, we can go through all the traditional stuff that, you know, I've kind of done in training all over the years. I did an exercise where they've all got to begin with P, I mean, prepared, persistent, proactive, presentable, team player, <laughs> good product knowledge, I mean, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, great. I am more and more thinking about this whole growth mindset thing and that if somebody doesn't have a growth mindset, they are going to be struggling because stuff is happening so quickly we need to be open to doing things differently to learning new ways of operating to pushing ourselves out of comfort zone to find actually doing that fun and interesting as opposed to just a drudge and we have to do it so i'm kind of defaulting more and more now back to it's this growth mindset is the is the biggest thing and, and, the, and the people i'm working with the ones who've got it are flying it's just really really good and all that don't i mean it could be me but i'm struggling with them because 
I ain't got time to deal with them now because the people who have got the growth mindset want, 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 and they want to take this stuff and they want to go. And that's where I want to be as well. So yeah, I'm, I'm going to default back to all those good old things, but growth mindset is probably the, the biggie, I'd say. But that's so, so interesting that you talked about the differentiation between people that get it and kind of start flying and those that don't get it and you kind of struggle with them. Because I experienced that recently with, a, yeah. with, a, with an ex-client actually. And it, 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 it's, is, is there a cause there? No, cause well, there. I, I, I don't know. If, no, no, I, I'm also in control of a lot of the things that happen as well, right? So I take ownership of that. But that particular one really opened my eyes because I saw people in that program actually disagree with Carol Dweck's research almost in the application of that research. And, and that kind of really sent alarm bells for me. And I'm just wondering, what's your experience around those that don't get it? Is it a question that they are, in your view, from your experience, of course, you can't speak for everyone, that they're just closed off? Or is it a question that they just don't get it and it, it's going to take time for them to do so? I try and see the good in people. Um, I try and cut them some slack. You know, I appreciate that sales people's ego is a big thing. It's also quite fragile in many cases, you know, and to say, oh, Fred, you just told me something I did not know. <laughs> it's not necessarily going to happen. So look, I, I kind of get all that sort of stuff. But there, there are just, there seem to be some people that just do not want to grow. They do not want to move on. In fact, they'll actively try not to. And in the past, what I've done is I've, I've tried to save them. You know, I've tried to help them. I think I've gradually sent myself nuts in doing so and realize that, you know what, this isn't fair forget about me it's not really fair on me yes but it's not fair on the other people that do want to move forward that could have got a whole lot more because actually they're usually a minority it's certainly not the majority anyway so a lot of people might be kind of in the middle and mm, yeah okay but the ones that are kind of the active detractors that can be so time consuming so no you know what it's not fair i'm not going to deal with you i will work with the people that are moving ahead and if you get left behind then kind of so be it and it was, it was a bit of a tough one. I'm probably still going through it. <laughs> this podcast has become a little bit of a counseling session. <laughs> um, but that's how it has to be for me now. It's just not, it's not fair on the people because of this speed of change and they want to equip themselves and they get it and they want to be taking all these things on board and trying them. And it's just not fair if they're not getting, get, getting the best part of me, if you like, because I'm still trying to persuade somebody that, you know what, getting on video, it's not a bad idea. We're talking that level sometimes. <laughs> um, and it's just too tiring. And is there something around that growth mindset? Is there a particular area of that growth mindset where you're seeing really great people excel? Are you finding that there's one or two specific things within that growth mindset principle, or do you feel that they encompass all of it? I, I guess it's just that willingness to have a go, that curiousness, which got curious is <laughs> that's, that's a sales attribute anyway, and that just wanting to keep getting better to keep developing and they're, they're a joy to work with hard work sometimes <laughs> keep your toes um, but but great what a fantastic challenge to have then come on why am i explaining this stuff to you when it just is the way to work and if you don't you won't survive it's, that's just a tiring boring conversation whereas people are wanting more wanting more you know trying to drag stuff out you they're like sponges it's so much fun it's really cool yeah so it's almost like a mix of curiosity but courage yeah. And also kind of stamina and discipline, right? Yeah, because a lot of this stuff, it's not just try it once. You need to be sort of keeping doing it. But um, yeah, courage, courage is a good word, actually. I hadn't really thought of it like that. But yeah, it is. It's 
no, I'm willing to put myself out there a little bit to try something different. But of course, when they do, because the stuff that we would tend to be training and tend to be sharing, it has been done. People are doing it. They are using it effectively. We're not just making it up on the spot because it might be a good idea. So it will work. They take it, they try it, they come back. Hey, this stuff is really good. This is brilliant. That's great. Then you can give them more of it. Um, yeah, it's, mm. it's just great seeing people seeing people fly like that. Because you know? courage is a muscle, right? I mean, that's how I view it. It's, it's a muscle at the end of the day. It's not something that you're born with. And it's not something that you will naturally always excel at maybe some people do but it, it's something that needs to be built just like a muscle does and the question i usually ask people is well what are you doing every day to test that courage and become comfortable with that courage and it doesn't have to be big things it can be very small things that you do every day that takes you outside your comfort zone so for example having a cold shower in the morning that definitely built up. I, I, I do it every morning and I, I can tell you even after five years of doing so every morning I, there's not a single day that I actually look forward to it, no matter how hot the day is, right? That, that requires courage. But then there's some simple things, right? Like, you know, if you buy, if you go to a clothing store or any store and you buy something, you know, do you ask for a discount or do you ask for something in addition? Not because you expect to get it, get it, but because you are building that courage in order to do so. So yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting that you framed it in terms of that curiosity. I talked about courage, but also that discipline as well. I, I, th I think these are muscles in which to actually build on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, I'm with you on that, apart from the cold shower bit. <laughs> the cold no, shower bit. No one will sell me that. <laughs> you don't have to do the whole thing. Just do the last, <laughs> last 30 seconds. Give it a shot. I think you should um it, it actually works well um but my excuse is that i go to the gym first thing in the morning and to then have a cold shower be bad for the muscles there you go is that okay am i excused <laughs> depends if you're uncomfortable with that gym gym in the morning if that's are you stepping outside your comfort zone doing that uh, sometimes <laughs> <laughs> this is this has been really interesting fred I, I have to say i'm really glad that we got you back on the show because as i said i i read the book and i took a lot from it um, even though I've been doing this for 20 years, right, and, and had the privilege to work with hundreds of companies and observe what they do, I still took a lot from this. So I, I would absolutely encourage people to to get the book out. It's not a, it's not a massive read, but it's just packed full of insights and, and and ideas and reasons for why salespeople need to change. I wanted to ask you, which three books or experts would you recommend that our listeners buy or follow? Chimp Paradox. It's a brilliant book, yeah, about mind management, about kind of why you do certain things that you do. I had a bit of a reminder of myself around that the other day. I've read that four or five, six times, maybe more. Um, but my chimp fired off big time the other day, and what I was doing was just so stupid, but I couldn't do anything about it because a chimp is stronger than human. So, um, yeah, that was a good reminder to <laughs> probably talk to myself to go back and, and read that one. That is certainly one thing to go and uh, to go and have a look at. I mean, I'd say another book I was in. <laughs> So I, I got I got very uh, is very honoured to be invited to write a chapter for um, a book by Jim Irvin, which is the B two B salesperson's guidebook. So again, yeah, my, my chapter is about PQ. So again, you don't need to read that book because I've just talked about it. But there's um, I think it's is it thirty other authors in there or something like that. It's like four hundred fifty years worth of sales experience oh, wow. in in one little book. Um, lots of sort of bite sized little little chunks, which is some some decent uh, some decent guys in there. So. There you go. I've took one plus 40. So that's 41 <laughs> people. Um, and I'm going to decline on that last one. It's like, to be honest, it, no, no, let, let me phrase this. Rather than decline, let me say it's any salesperson 
salesperson, not a trainer, not us guys, you know, because that's our job. We, we produce content, we put stuff out. Any salesperson that puts content out there, they should be looked right. at because these guys are getting it. Yeah, so, you know, whether SDR, whether an AE, whether their backpack or job title is, but somebody who's taking it on their kind of their own initiative to be getting onto LinkedIn and either putting some basic posts out there, might be making videos, even sharing TikTok stuff. I mean, that is still doing something. So I, I've got massive respect for them. And so, you know, if you're not doing that, have a look at them, look at what they're doing, think about why they're doing it, um, and just wonder whether that might be something that you should be doing. And if you do it differently, great. If you do it the same, great. But if you just use that to inspire yourself to do something, then yeah, cool, do that. Yeah, uh, I agree. <laughs> no, I, I I agree with that. And and one one thing I would add on there is maybe not if a salesperson is just talking about how great they are at sales or sales principles, unless they're selling a sales principles program or product. But if they're talking more about things that are related to their buyers and their buyers' world, yeah. I think that that is those are the those are the powerful salespeople to really watch and learn from. So yeah, yeah. I thought that was a really good one. Yeah. This was incredible. This was a really really interesting conversation how how can our viewers and listeners learn more about you and get in and get in touch fred um can we pop a link into the show notes because Absolutely. what i've got to go with the book i prepared a scorecard so there's a, a thing that they can do and i can uh, i think it's 35 36 quick questions designed to be quick so give them a little bit of a feeling of where they are now in their kind of journey to hybrid selling so i'm hoping that people <laughs> off the basis of this want to be more of a hybrid seller give them a bit of a feeling of that it'll produce a pdf which is based on dynamic content so it's specifically for them as to what they can do for as a result of it um so yeah they can they can do that i don't even need to buy the yeah. book now god that, that was a bit of a shooting myself in the foot moment wasn't it well that's only one well not really because that's only that's only one part of the book and that's actually towards the end so uh no i i, I mean not at all no. if they haven't well, read the rest of the book they probably wouldn't know how to use it properly yeah, well, funny enough, the content, I pulled quite a lot of stuff from the book from that, but no, do that. Um, and yeah. on, on LinkedIn, you know, connect me on LinkedIn, you know, reach out, mm. say, you've heard, say you've heard this podcast. You know, I, I do try and practice what I preach and share some, some decent stuff. Don't always have a little, have a little moments. <laughs> same, same as anybody when engagement's low, I'll stick a cat picture on. Um, <laughs> they tend to be sat next to a book. Imagine that. God, the, 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 how lucky is that? <laughs> how coincidental um, as well oh yeah our dream is sellotaped inside um, <laughs> but no joking apart uh, linkedin would be the best place to get in contact and uh yeah i'd sort of love to speak to people who've listened to this yeah great and, and absolutely we'll put a link to all those things in the show notes uh so that people can uh, learn more and actually do so by practicing it right and actually taking action so it was great to have you on the show and gosh the time has gone by really fast i have to say you know it's been a pleasure speaking with you fred any uh, any final wise words um, when it comes to hybrid selling and you know what people should really take away from 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 the principles of hybrid selling? I was, I was there's a couple of things I could say on there. I look, I've got a bit of a mantra when it comes to sales. I use it in various different formats, but it's about good people doing good things in a good way. So good is about being good in your technique, in your process, in your knowledge, but also in your intent. Good things again, it's the outcomes, it's the results, it's the uh, stuff you're trying to do for your customers, but also the way you do it. And so that's why it's um, yeah, in a good way. So good people do good things in a good way. If you subscribe to that as your sales mantra, you'll uh, you'll be on the course of that nobility you've talked about as well. I love that. I really love that phrase because it really, it really, it really kind of aligns with the group that we're a part of, you know, sales as a force yeah. for good and, and really it should be, right? Um, 
if you're creating change and great change, then it's to the betterment of others as well as yourself. So I, I love that phrase. So Fred, it was a pleasure having you on the show again. Best of luck with the book and its progress as well. And um, yeah, let's uh, hopefully we can bring you back on the show again when you have another book. Oh, I'd love to. <laughs> Great. Well, this is Moed Amin signing off. And if you found value or interest in any of the principles discussed today, you can access Fred's uh, content through the links that we're going to put in the show notes. If you'd like to learn more about the principles that I talk about as well, I will also add some links in there for you to be able to contact me. But for now, this is Moed Amin on the Persuasion Lab podcast signing off. Thank you.